Welcome to the In the Pattern podcast, Quick Cast Bravo, live from AirVenture 2018. This is Brad Kane. I am broadcasting from during the air show on Monday, and I had a chance to sit down and chat with someone from the FAA's Aviation Safety Division, Dr. Bruce Wright, uh, to talk about their bariatric. Well, it's not bariatric, but their hypoxia simulator, and uh, to talk about a presentation that he's going to be doing, and thought I would share that with you all. And without further ado, here is Dr. Bruce Wright. I'm sitting here with Dr. Bruce Wright from the FAA, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that you can expect to see at the FAA uh building here at AirVenture Oshkosh 2018. Uh, I met Dr. Wright uh, setting up the hypoxia station uh, where pilots can go and learn about the effects of hypoxia. Dr. Wright, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what pilots might expect to experience? Okay, our demonstration here is uh, uh, in a what we call the portable reduced oxygen training enclosure. It's the PROT. Uh, and the way we produce hypoxia in people is to uh, reduce the percentage of oxygen actually inside our little room. Uh, we have some molecular separators outside uh, and they separate the oxygen from the nitrogen. We pump the nitrogen back in the room. You get a 7% oxygen uh, environment in there and that's a, approximately equivalent to 26, 27,000 feet. So you go from field elevation here and as soon as we close the door, you're at 27, 28,000 feet. So within about five seconds, your body knows it. And you will experience your symptoms of hypoxia very uh, quickly. The, uh, the onset is fairly rapid. But these are the same symptoms that you're going to experience in any aircraft. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're flying 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 50,000 feet. It's the same symptoms. Uh, the altitude is just going to... Uh, make it a difference in how fast those symptoms come on. And the only way pilots can know what their symptoms are is to experience them. Everyone's symptoms are different, so you have to experience your own symptoms in order to recognize them. Now, you don't have the, the pressure chamber here that uh, some people have no. experienced at Oklahoma City. It's probably a little bit tough to move. Very tough to move. Uh, yeah, that would probably overgrace just about any uh, truck out there. Uh, the pressure chamber uh, we do uh, only at Oklahoma City, uh, and we actually reduce the pressure inside the chamber. It is a you know steel chamber, uh, and we there uh, get down to a pressure altitude equivalent of twenty five thousand feet, and you experience the same hypoxia symptoms. Okay. Uh, here we reduce the. Pr partial pressure of oxygen in the altitude chamber, we reduce the total pressure of the atmosphere and by uh, thereby we also reduce the partial pressure of oxygen. What are the common effects that pilots might experience uh, at, at altitude with a hy hypoxia situation? Well, uh, the ones we're most concerned with are the, uh, the cognitive effects. Uh, if you are not capable of doing your piloting tasks. You can't do simple time and distance calculations or maybe your fuel uh, calculations. You've been burning four gallons an hour 
for the past two hours and 45 minutes. How much fuel have you burned? And you just can't figure that out when you are hypoxic. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll do, uh, you know, math in public is never nice. So we'll, we'll pick on people that we see are, are going too long. And uh, uh, we notice that they are obviously hypoxic. And we'll have them do some mental math. Maybe it'll be uh, count backwards from, you know, 105 by twos. Uh, it, you know, we'll vary it depending on uh, you know what what we think is going to be a good demonstration. But uh, the cognitive effects being able to pilot an airplane is huge. Uh, and uh, every once in a while, we'll uh, we'll have someone do some manual tasks. Maybe uh, point at someone, point at their nose, point at someone, point at their nose, and that's. Uh, those manual skills start to deteriorate. They start missing their nose and hitting their forehead, things like that. So you had us all wear pulse oximeters on one finger, um, and I noticed that the person in the chamber with us was was checking those numbers. What are they looking for, and what should pilots use uh, the information from a pulse oximeter? Uh, how should that affect their decision-making? Okay, pulse oximeter is really the only instrument that uh, you would have with you, uh, or not even everyone has with them, uh, when they go fly. Uh, it isn't. We don't monitor the pilot in the aircraft. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're flying a 747 or uh, a J3 Cub, there is no instrument in the cockpit monitoring pilot health. So this pulse oximeter is something you can bring with you, and it measures is your blood actually saturated with oxygen. What we're looking for is maintain that saturation level 90% or above. Uh, it varies a little bit, and if you get into the high 80s, even the mid 80s, I'm not that concerned about you. Uh, just sitting and, you know, maybe uh, a little late in the day, you're just not breathing very well, uh, very deeply, and it, it's possible to, to drop the saturation a little bit just naturally. Uh, but we're looking in the chamber, when we see you getting below 80, we know you should have some symptoms, and if you're not reporting any yet, we're gonna probably tell you, you need to examine yourself more closely. We can notice them, you need to look for them. If you're getting below 70, we're starting to get very concerned about you, because now you're in the twilight zone. Uh, for the most part, if you are in the 60s, you shouldn't be piloting an airplane. Okay. Uh, we have a cutoff here of 60. If you get below 60, we stop the demonstration. You are going back on oxygen, like it or not. Right. Uh, okay. And you know, experimentally, I've done uh, people in uh, you know military altitude chambers, uh, test subjects, and so forth. I've seen people actually into the the 40s, and they're no longer able to help themselves, but they're still conscious. Uh, but they are so they're uselessly conscious. Right. Uh, and you know, we talk about the uh, the altitude chamber. The time of useful consciousness at very alt various altitudes changes. Uh, 25,000 feet, we usually say three to five minutes is a good time of useful consciousness. That's not to say that you are going to go unconscious after that. It's just that you won't be able to do anything to help yourself, put your mask on, and recover. Okay. And we definitely want to avoid that. So, again, here we'll let you get two or three symptoms. We'll let you experiment with it, put your mask on, you recover yourself, everyone's happy. Great. That's 
really, uh, uh, it's been a, it was a fascinating experience for me. I wanted to do it for several years, and one reason or another, I wasn't able to. Um, you were also going to be doing a seminar uh, a little bit later in the week. Uh, would you like to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, okay, I'm going to be talking about uh, the impact of fatigue on pilot performance and also offering uh, some fatigue countermeasures, uh, some tips on how to better manage your fatigue in the aircraft. Uh, not going to steal my own thunder here, but uh, I'll be briefing at least two or three aircraft mishaps that had fatigue uh, as a causal factor, uh, or at least mentioned as a uh, contributing factor. Uh, we're also going to uh, you know, just look at some of the research. Uh, one of my favorite studies is a NASA study that was done in the uh, early, mid-1990s where we actually put EEG electrodes on pilots flying a 747 on a Trans-Pacific mission. And in that case, uh, we saw pilots enter microsleep on final approach to major airports. And wow. that's where, uh, yeah, usually a lot of people are, I didn't realize that could happen. Well, if you've ever been driving and just missed your exit, you've been drowsy, and missed the exit, chances are you were in microsleep at that critical moment when that sign went by and you were still, quote, awake, but nothing was registering. And that's kind of a hazardous thing to have happen in the aircraft, and we're just trying to avoid that. And uh, the, the fatigue seminar is going to be, uh, I, I believe I'm scheduled for an hour, uh, maybe an hour and 15 minutes, but uh, what I'll probably do is talk for uh, some of that time and allow at least 10 minutes or so for question and answer. Uh, people usually know, hey, is caffeine good enough? Short answer is yes, but it's a guarded yes. Depends on how much caffeine you normally drink. A 10 cup pot of coffee by yourself before lunch is not a good thing. So, uh, and I'll have some more information on that on uh, and Wednesday. Hope to see you in the audience. Fantastic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you wound up doing this kind of work with the FAA? Sure. Um, I'm basically retired military. Uh, I did this for uh, 22 years uh, for the Air Force uh, where I was active duty and then uh, another 10, 12 years uh, where I was a government civilian still in the laboratory, still doing all these kinds of things and uh, about uh, Two and a half, three years ago, the FAA uh, needed a physiologist. Uh, there is only one of us, and my predecessor recently retired, so I am his replacement. Uh, but I've been doing uh, the aerospace physiology, altitude training, acceleration training uh, for a little over 35 years now. Wow. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate uh, getting the opportunity to spread the word. And thank you very much for your service as well. Well, it's uh, a pleasure. Uh, it's kind of humbling knowing that uh, there aren't too many people that do this kind of training. And the numbers, are, to me, are truly terrifying because there are six of us as the total in airman education and there are 600,000 pilots out there, and a little over 100,000 have had physiological training. So we got 500,000 to go. Well, we'll try to get uh, the word out so a few more people can sign up. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
And that was Dr. Bruce Wright from the FAA's uh, Civil Aerospace Medical Institute. And I hope you all enjoyed that and found it informative. And I hope that you're able to come down and watch his presentation on Wednesday here at EAA AirVenture Oshkosh 2018. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, make left traffic, you're cleared for the option.